Tales of San Juan by Jackson Gregory Chapter 22 The Beginning of the End When Norton stirred and would have opened his eyes, but for the bandage drawn over them, she was at his side. She had been kneeling there for a long time, waiting. Her hand was on his, where it had crept softly from his wrist. "'You must lie very still,' she commanded gently. "'I'm with you, and everything is all right. There was an accident.' No, don't try to move the cloth, please, Roderick. She pushed his hand back down and to his side. We're in the King's Palace, just you and I, and everything is all right. He was feverish, and she soothed him, sick, and she mothered him and nursed him, troubled, uncertain, perplexed, and she comforted him. At the first she went no further than saying that there had been an accident, that already she had sent to San Juan for all that was needed to make him comfortable that Mr. Engel had been instructed to speed a man to the railroad for further necessities, that now, for his own sake, for her sake, he must just lie very still, try not even to think. He was listless, seeming without volition, quite willing to surrender himself into her keeping. What day's thoughts were his upon this first awakening were lost, forgotten in the brief doze into which she succeeded into luring him. When again he stirred and woke, she was still at his side, kneeling upon the hard rock floor beside him. She had had Patton help her to lift him down from the table before she dispatched Patton with the note for John Engle. Again she pleaded with him to lie still and just trust her. He was very still. She knew that he was trying to piece together his fragmentary thoughts and impressions, seeking to bridge over from last night to today. So she talked softly with him, soothing him alike with the tenderness of her voice and the pressure and gentle stroke of her hand upon his hand and arm. He had had an accident, but was going to be all right from now on. But he must not be moved for a little. Therefore Ingle would come soon, and perhaps Mrs. Ingle with him, and a wagon, bringing a real bed and fresh, clean sheets, and all of those articles which she had listed. It would not be very long now until Ingle came. But at last, when she paused, his hand shut down upon hers, and he asked quietly, "'I didn't dream at all, did I, Virginia?' "'It is hard to know just what I did and what I dreamed I did. But it seems more than a dream. Was it I who robbed Kemble of the Quigley Mines?' "'Yes,' she told him lightly, as though it were a matter of small moment. "'But you were not responsible for what you did.' "'And there were other robberies. I even tried to steal from you.' Yes, she answered again. And you wanted to have me submit to an operation, and I would not. Yes. And then? Then you did it. So she explained, feeling that certainly would be less harmful to him now than a continual struggle to penetrate the curtain of semi-darkness obscuring his memory. I took it upon myself, she told him at the end. I took the chance that you might die, that it might be I who had killed you. Perhaps I had no right to do it, but I have succeeded. I have drawn you back from kleptomania to your own clear moral strength. You will get well, Rod Norton. You will be an honest man. But I took it upon myself to take the chances for you. Do you think that you can forgive me? He appeared to be pondering the matter. When his reply came, it was couched in the form of a question. Would you have done it, Virginia, if you didn't love me a little as I love you. And her answer comforted him. He was sleeping when the Ingalls came. 
Later came the big wagon, one of Engle's men driving, Ignacio Chavez and two other Mexicans accompanying on horseback. Virginia had forgotten nothing. Quick hands did her bidding now, altering the anteroom of the king's palace into a big, airy bedroom. There was a great rug upon the floor, a white-sheeted and counterplane bed, fresh pajamas, table, chair, alcohol stove, glasses and cups, and water pitchers. There were cloths for fresh bandages, wide palm-leaf fans. There was even ice and the promise of further ice to come. The sun was shut out by heavy curtains across the main entrance and the broken-out holes in the easterly wall. "'My dear,' said Mrs. Engle, taking both of Virginia's hands into her own, "'I don't know just what has happened, and I don't care to know until you get good and ready to tell me about it. But I can see by looking at you that you are at the end of your tether. I'm going to take care of Roddy now while you sleep at least a couple of hours.' She and Engle had asked themselves the question as soon as Virginia's note came to them. What in the world were she and Norton doing on the mountainside at that time of night? But they had no intention of asking it of anyone else. Rather, John Engle hastened to answer it for others. Machachos, he said to the men when he sent them back to San Juan, there was an accident last night. Senor Norton had a fall from his horse, striking his head. My cousin, Miss Page, together with Senor Norton and Senor Patton, was taking a short cut this way to make a call at Pozo. Senor Patton and Miss Page succeeded in getting Senor Norton here, where they had to operate upon him immediately. He is doing well now, thanks to their prompt action. He will be well soon. You may tell his friends. And then, seeing little that he could do here and much that he might accomplish elsewhere, John Engle rode on his spurs back to San Juan to lay down the law to Patton. Throughout the days and nights which followed, Virginia and Mrs. Engle nursed Norton back to a semblance of strength. One of them was always at his side. When at last the bandage might be removed from the blindfolded eyes, Norton's questioning glance found Virginia first of all. Virginia, he said quietly, thanks to you I can start in all over now. She understood. So did Mrs. Engle. For Norton had explained to both the banker and his wife, holding nothing back from them, telling them frankly of crimes committed, of his attempted abduction of the girl who in turn had abducted him. He had restitutions to make without the least unnecessary delay. He must square himself, and he thanked God that he could square himself, that his crimes had been bloodless, that he had but to return the stolen monies, and, to wipe his slate clean, he stood ready to pay to the full for what he had done to offer his confession openly, to accept without a murmur whatever decree the court might award him. Again, John Engle did his bit. He went to the county seat and saw the district attorney, an upright man, but one who saw clearly. The lawyer laid his work aside and came immediately with Engle to the king's palace. "'Any court having full evidence,' he said crisply, "'would hold you blameless. Give me the money you've taken, and I see it is returned.' and that no questions are asked. And if you've got any idiotic compulsion about open confession, well, think of somebody beside yourself for a change. Try thinking about the Wonder Girl a little. It will be good for you. For he never called her anything but that, the Wonder Girl, when he had heard everything. He came to her after his straightforward fashion and gripped her hand until he hurt her. I didn't know they made girls like you, he told her before she even knew who he was. 
It was he who, summoning all of his forensic eloquence, finally quieted Norton's disturbed mind. Norton, in his weakened condition, was all for making a clean breast before the world, for acknowledging himself unfit for his office, for resigning. But in the end, when he was told curtly that he owed vastly more to the county than to his stupid conscience, that he had been chosen to get Jim Galloway, that that was his job, that he could do all the resigning he wanted to afterwards, and that, finally, he was not to consider his own personal feeling until he had thought of Virginia's. Norton gave over his request, and merely waxed impatient for the time when he could finish his work and go back to Las Flores Rancho, for it was understood that he would not go alone. "'I'll free Del Rio because I have to, not because I want to,' said the lawyer at the end, trusting to you to bring him in again later. He is one of Galloway's crowd, and I know it, despite his big bluffs. Galloway is away right now, somewhere below the border. Just what he is up to, I don't know. I think Del Rio does. When Galloway gets back, you keep your eye on the two of them. After the county attorney's departure, Rod Norton rested more easily. He was making restitution for all that he had done. He was getting well and strong again. He had been given such proof as comes to few men of the utter devotion of a woman. Through many a bright hour, he and Virginia, daring to look confidently ahead, talked of life as it might be lived upon Las Flores when the lake was made, the lower lands irrigated, the big home built. And she confessed to him at the last, her face hidden against his breast, I never want to see a surgeon's lancet again in all my life, Rod Norton. When at length the sheriff could bestride a horse, he wondered impatiently what it could be that kept Jim Galloway so long away, and if he was never coming back. But he knew that high up among the cliffs, hidden away in the ancient caves, Jim Galloway's rifles were still lying. End of chapter 22